Hello and welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it is good to be back with all, all of you. Good to be back with you, Rick. And um, we've got some new announcements and some stuff uh, to talk about this week. Some new cameras, some new software. Um, anything else going on that, that I missed? No. I think that's those are the highlights. Okay. Well, um, so we'll talk about some brand new Fuji announcements, um, specifically their new XS20 camera that replaces one that I talked about in the past, the XS10. They've got a new eight millimeter, eight millimeter rectilinear wide angle lens, and then something they've needed for a little while, which is an updated app to use with their camera. So good stuff. And then Absolutely. we'll, as promised last week, we'll talk a little bit more extensively about the version six upgrade to the Nick filters right. that DXO makes. And as people know, we think a lot of those filters use them quite frequently. And this is actually one where we'll do a portion in our podcast today, and then we'll do a special bonus episode that will f- focus on the Nick filters. And since those are... Um, Uh, video formats you know we can talk a little bit more show more etc it it lends itself better to discussion of software so if you want to be eligible to watch our bonus episodes go over to our blog page imagedoctorsphoto.com and sign up with a subscription there's also a new article that that we just published uh, last weekend um, about post-processing showing some of the tricks that you and I both use with some real simple Lightroom masking techniques uh, to really bring out uh, improved tricky subjects, you know, high contrast, difficult targets, and not just shooting in raw, but editing them with masking and why it's so helpful. So if you're interested in that, that's also available to our subscribers from our Patreon page. So Yep. We, we thank everyone who's already signed up and then contributing to uh, make this uh, a more interesting website experience. So, yeah. So um, let's talk camera stuff first, because this just an- got announced uh, for us this morning, just this week, a Fuji XS20. So Fuji X means X-Trans sensor. This is their AP, usually their APS-C, <laughs> APS-C, but it's an APS-C camera, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the S series. And so this is an improvement from the S10. Now they have an S20. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think, you know, a good way to view Fuji's right now is they've, they've got bodies like their XT series that are SLR-like in their dimensions and shape and have traditional controls, you know, a shutter dials, speed dial. Dials, yes. Et cetera. You've, you've got the X-Pro series, which is actually now discontinued, at least for the moment, that's a pseudo rangefinder right. experience, including having an optical viewfinder. And, and then you've got their X-H series, you know, which gets into the hybrid stuff, video, stills fast frame rates controls that are more like a nikon or a canon um or a sony command dials rather than Mm -hmm. than and um, and these are in the xs series are essentially the mini me version of dhs 
So they're intended to be hybrid cameras and have a lot of good video features. They have good stabilization, those kinds of things. And, and uh, that's what the XS10 was. This, the 20 is a, an improved version of it. And to their credit, they've actually made a number of nice improvements that make sense. Yeah. And, you know, so just to be clear, these are all going to use the APS-C format so it can use any of the Fuji lenses for their um, X mount, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a lot of lenses, uh, zooms, primes, whatever. Um, and you brought up that it has, um, what I'm seeing, it's got a newer processor. Um, it's got a 26 megapixel APS-C sensor. So that's that's pretty good resolution for detail. Yeah, that's unchanged though. It's the um, same sensor. Okay. Um, it's got the in-body stabilization, which to me is a huge discriminator when you're shopping mm -hmm. for a camera. I would much and, rather and buy one with, with it than without. It's huge. And it's about a stop better than what they had before. They're promising seven stops versus six. Okay, Both so are good. Yeah. I mean... But like we've talked about, great. when you can do that, when you're indoors somewhere on, you know, in lower light situations, it's a good thing. Um, it has subject detection focus algorithms. So birds, animals, planes, trains, bicycles, whatever. Um, that's also a huge discriminator if I was looking for a camera these days. Yeah. Because um, I just I just wouldn't recommend someone get a camera that doesn't have those features not a brand gonna, new one at least not a new one right i mean it, let's be clear i mean everyone's needs are different but if i had the choice with the same amount of money if i'm going to buy one camera i will choose the one that has some form of, of subject detection to include those other subjects not just face and eye mm -hmm. um uh, you know that's been around for a while another thing that they've added in the s the XS20 is it uses a larger battery than its predecessor. And that can be huge when you're you know, talking about video recording or just lots of shooting. Yeah. And it's the same battery that you'll find in things like the X-T5 or the X-T4. They're medium format um, cameras. They're newer medium format cameras. So you, you can you know, swap batteries around if you own some of those other things. That's cool. That's always yeah. a nice thing. Um, it is a nice thing. In fact, I always hate when a camera comes out with a yet another battery form factor. They've been oh, pretty God. good lately. You know, they might mm -hmm. have different battery capacities, but the form factor and the compatibility has been the same. I'm seeing this, which is, which is nice because it used to be every camera had a new battery <laughs> entirely. Yeah. Um, that and was never a great thing. The LCD display in the back is much higher resolution than before. It wasn't bad before, but it's higher. And for a camera that's intended to spend more time doing video stuff, that's great. That makes sense. Right. And it has the flip out LCD, which is mm -hmm. good for vlogging. So they have a vlog mode even on this dial for video. So you can do 6K video, um, 30 frames a second. If you go down to 4K video, you can shoot 60 frames a second. So it's it's pretty well spec'd out, actually. Um, when I first read through it, I I was um, I was, you know, I thought it was good. I you know I, it was an impressive, especially at its price point. Um, right. You you can't talk about these things in a vacuum. Uh, you know, this camera will will shoot. I think 20 frames per second in full resolution raw. That's mm -hmm. pretty darn good. That's as fast mm -hmm. as um, maybe the highest it's, end Nikon camera that I have, right? Uh, well, let's put it in perspective. We both own cameras that will go that fast. We don't use Or that. even faster. Yeah. 
do we use them that way normally? Heck no. Right. Most of <laughs> the time. With, it's just right. too many images that look it, about it, the it same. It is. It is. But it's priced at um, body only in the U.S., $1,299, mm-hmm. $1,300. And it's got two lens kit options. Um, so we should mention those. One is the 15 to 45. That's a power zoom. That means when you turn the zoom ring, there's a motor that zooms the lens. If you're a still photographer, I would think twice about getting that lens. It's very inexpensive. It only adds like $100 to the price when you get it as a kit. It's an okay lens. Um, You've owned it. I've had it. I mean, optically, it's fine. It's not a bad lens, but it's light. It's plastic. It's what you might expect for a lens that you're only paying $100 extra for. But the power zoom is just, it's really for people doing a lot of video. So if you're doing vlogging or video and you want those smooth zooms, power zoom makes a lot of sense. But if you want precision of framing, boy, I would really look elsewhere and consider the other kit lens or getting a used 18 to 55 stabilized lens. That's a nice little lens. Yeah, it's a variable aperture 2.8 to f4. So kind of fast at the Mm -hmm. short end. And it, it's a nice handling lens. It has an aperture ring. It's got metal construction. It feels solid. And optically, it's it's pretty darn good, especially on a 20, uh, 26 megapixel sensor. So, I've, I still yeah. have mine, and I still use it, even though it's a fairly old lens now, just because it's so darn handy. It's small. And it's it works like, well. It's like we've talked about. There's- yeah. You know, there it, it's a very small travel lens. It's great. I used to use that um, when I had my XT1 before it was infrared. I used mm-hmm. it. Now, then I discovered that the 18 to 55 is horrible for infrared, but that's a, <laughs> a that's different, a different matter. That's a different issue. But I'll but, just say I've used that lens as my sole lens on many um, trips where I, for whatever reason, I had to go light, but a bit of business trip or something like that, where I thought I might get a chance to do something mm-hmm. else. You know, like in Europe or whatever. Mm-hmm. So here, what we've got, just to kind of summarize something, if mm-hmm. you're going to describe this, we've got a camera uh, that isn't um, painfully expensive. You know, it's it's still a lot for some people, but it's it's not a two thousand or a three thousand dollar camera. It has a lot of professional, uh, modern AI based features, image stabilization, and most importantly, there's a really nice ecosystem of lenses to go with it. So if you're considering something, maybe you don't want a camera quite as small as like when we've talked about Olympus systems, maybe you want more, more pixels. This is, this is an alternative and it would be um, something that we'd probably both recommend. Now to to put in perspective, this is a small camera. Mm -hmm. It is small. So it weighs about a pound, pound 1.1. And OM1 is a bigger camera, Mm -hmm. but. um, Well, the sensor I was talking about. Yeah. 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 I just meant in a, a yeah. small package. So this is a very small camera. It's got a good grip though. It has a mm-hmm. front grip that's deep. That's for me, that's a really important thing. And we were talking earlier, if I was going to pick a camera, one that has the grip and, and by grip, I just mean a deep grip in the front, not a vertical grip necessarily um, versus one that just has a little bump. Um, I would choose the one with the grip. Yeah. From, I, from I've a handling the XS10 now for several years and it's just a delightful little camera really is very nice all right so there's your option and um you can check it out on our uh, website and we'll have a link to it now they also came out with a new lens the eight millimeter 3.5 that's not a fisheye 
this is a standard wide angle, although it's quite wide. It's the equivalent roughly of a 12 mil millimeter lens on a full frame, <laughs> can't talk today, full frame camera. So pretty darn wide. Um, this is one that puzzles me a little bit. I think it's nice to have that option, but... All this right. is a so 12 millimeter equivalent on, mm -hmm. on 35 millimeter. It's got an aperture ring. Hey, you like that? I do like those with the, uh, you know, just in general. From a handling perspective, mm -hmm. it's not a critical I, I, I really like that control layout. You know, it's a little bit slow for an astro lens. It would have made more sense being a 2.8 or even a little bit faster than that. So 3.5 is, is okay, but a little bit slow for astro stuff. Well, so um, it's also a little bit wide to be. <sighs> Let me put it this way. If you were shooting with the equivalent of like a 24 to 70 lens on a full frame camera and you had an option for a really lightweight 18, you know, really tiny, for example, to supplement it, that, that could be a good combo. You wouldn't necessarily have to go with an ultra wide zoom. But this thing is so wide. It yeah, can't you'll be getting your feet in the role. picture. Yeah. I, I'm struggling with this one because here's 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 well, I'll ask it a different way. Mm -hmm. What's the target audience market for a lens like this? Um, and, and I'm sure it's a great lens. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, what is the target? Uh, it's a niche lens and niche lenses have to have a special purpose. So this is it's niche is really, really wide. And normally when I think really wide prime, I'm like, yeah, that's great for like night sky kind of photography, but with an aperture of 3.5, it's not really ideal for that. It's not bad, but you'd really want to see this as like at a two eight or something like that, you know? Um, Cause when I think primes, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to pack the prime because it does something that my other zooms won't do usually not always but usually that's a faster aperture lens because i want a portrait lens or i want a macro lens or i want you know better bokeh or you know whatever it might be i just can't imagine using 12 millimeters much it's just so darn wide no and interior photography i would frankly prefer to use one of their wide angle zooms yeah, for framing purposes, it's just too yeah. hard. Um, you know, my go-to interior lens when I'm using my Nikon stuff has always been my 14 to 30. Um, and, and landscapes as well. 12 millimeters would be really too wide for probably 95% of the landscapes I shoot. Really don't need that kind of... Yeah, for me, I would say even 99. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, um, but at any rate, I am certain there is a a target oh, market but yeah. it's a little bit puzzling it exists and it's not ex it's not inexpensive it's an 800 dollars lens so if you were considering this really just think about what would be the purpose of this lens what am i going to use it for and if you come up with a valid reason then i say go for it but if it were me i would probably choose something a little bit more flexible yeah. in the ways that i shoot and maybe yeah. too now, the other thing that Fuji rolled out, um, and it, it's technically not out yet while we're re recording this, it'll show up a day later, but it's a new app to use on your Smartphone. cell phone or whatever. And 
it does have several new features that um, should result in a much nicer experience. They're, they're promising better connectivity, um, reliability. That's been a little bit weird with Fuji's at times where sometimes you just cannot get them to connect. They tend to be a little bit slow to connect too. So from what I've read, both of those are being addressed. It also looks like it handles GPS tagging of your images better than the preceding app, which the way I would describe it is it would just get tired after a little while and then just decide on its own to stop doing that as opposed to other apps, which just keep doing it. You know, I'm talking about from other companies. So I think the GPS tagging appears to be improved and more reliable. And then they've got some other clever things in there, one of which we, we've seen with the OM1 where you can use the app to store and recall settings mm -hmm. on your camera, like custom settings. That's a great feature. Yeah, it is very good feature. Um, firmware updates. These are, these are nice things. Um, the more functionality that manufacturers can put into their smartphone apps because sometimes i feel like they are almost an afterthought mm -hmm. um you know i can certainly tell you that the earliest version of of the um current nikon app the snap bridge was pretty dismal it's oh, it's yeah. it's actually not bad right now there's a no few it's a pretty good would, one would would uh there's a few things that i would probably like to see improve but but for the most part but you can't do any kind of settings installations or, or anything like that with it save your settings on your phone because how how convenient would that be if you could have saved settings um, on your phone to install on the fly um the answer is we know and it's very nice it is very nice yeah it, it, <laughs> you it can do good. some interesting tricks with this um so anyway lots of stuff out this week from fuji should also just point out uh, canon introduced a new entry-level mirrorless camera um which one was what was that one called again rick the uh r100 R so it's another aps-c camera but this one is really designed to be um truly an entry-level price point camera 500 body only no stabilization slower frame rates truly an entry level into the canon um uh mirrorless system right um, one one last thing i'll mention before we move on to the Nick stuff, and this is pertaining to Fuji. There are about a dozen firmware updates or so out too, because they're updating all the cameras that will work with the new app to be oh, compatible. Okay. And it, it has some other benefits too, in terms of like time zone stuff that wasn't in place for some of the cameras. Um, and more importantly, they've improved subject detection for the X-T5 and the X-H2 and essentially given it the same improvements that they recently gave the X-H2S. So subject detection improvements, always good. Oh, yeah. I good stuff. agree. All right. We're going to spend what little time we have left um, just going through some of the new features that are in the uh, recently released up upgrade, I say upgrade because it costs money, uh, to the NIC collection. Um, this is a suite of plugins that you and I have pretty much been using for over a decade <laughs> ever since I they mean, came out pretty much yeah um so this includes the sweet uh color effects silver effects hdr effects sharpener define which does noise reduction viveza for local adjustments just color adjustments um it's a nice suite of apps um and there's 
we're going to talk more about these when we can actually show them to you in a video on our bonus episode for this week. So again, if you're not subscribing um, to our um, subscriber uh, blog on our Patreon page, you'll want to do that so you can uh, see these these features um, on your actual, you know, in in action, so to speak. But um, the biggest thing for me, uh, mo most of the upgrades here, I know what it is. Have been user guess. interface. <laughs> it's they're 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 kind of trying to roll out a, a a unified interface for all the apps, which makes perfect sense. You know, mm -hmm. update it. But if there's one thing, and I think you would agree with this, they finally put the control sliders back into the control points where they belong in the first place. It is so much easier to work. So, with. so, so you almost I, ended I, up cross-eyed trying to I, use I've the always, system they went to for a while. I've always upgraded my Nix collection, whether it was Nix software back in the day, whether when it was owned by Google, when DxO mm -hmm. bought it, I believe in supporting this product and upgrades are the way you do that, you know? And so, you know, Am I willing to shell out the $79 or whatever it might be? Yes, I am. It's not a problem. But when they went to version five and they moved all of the control point sliders into the main right-hand panel, I just wanted to pound my head against the wall with no offense to anybody at DxO. But man, that was just, to me, a boneheaded user interface decision the entire beauty of the control point was that you click it to define a selection and then look there's your sliders and you just move them on the screen right there with the particular control point that it's associated with and they've always had the option of having the sliders on the menu panel you know the that, that's there but my goodness with that much stuff on the right hand side you could get completely lost and find yourself making global slider adjustments and, and oh my all God. of us did that all yeah. of us and, and, and even so after you got used to it you it still did it it's brutal um they've add, added a couple other new little features some of which we haven't had a ton of time to play with one is called control lines it's almost like a smart it's like a select gradient feature so it's like a gradient but it uses control point uh you know again color and luminance values to make a selection so a gradient based selection mm -hmm. um i need to figure out a little bit more on that um, you can give names to your control points. So you can say eyeball, you know, or whatever, not a big deal for me, but it's, it's not a bad feature. Yeah. Um, anything that you found that really caught your eye, Rick? <clears throat> Just, you know, there's some little things that are nice too. Um, like in color effects, they've added in a hue saturation and luminance yes. panel. It's Very a global. much like what you find with uh, something like Lightroom or a lot mm -hmm. of other products. And that that's a nice thing to have in a plugin that's all about color and, right. and tweaking it. So that's that's a good change, I think. They've also, uh, another little thing, and I'm probably not going to be someone that will use this frequently, but others will. You, you know, if, let's say you've got an image that's got five or even 10 control points in it. Those happen. You can go in and, and actually give those control points names. So, you know, one of them could be called elephant and then another one could be called ground and another one could call, right. be called building. If you were, you know, taking a picture of an elephant at the zoo, for example, and we're doing yeah. local adjustments on those things. They've also improved the ways that you can refine the control point selections. Mm -hmm. They've added a diffusion slider, which is kind of like feathering. 
Um, and we'll be able to show all of this in our video um, yeah. that we'll do. But it, it's good to have the controls back where they belong. And then if you haven't messed with um, the NIC plugins in a while, um, you know, that was the big add in version five was the ability to refine the selection based on color or tone values. And that's that's very good. That's a, a useful tool. So it's still there in six. The other thing I'll just say real briefly is that it does appear to improve performance. Um, yeah. The the control point, it's still not perfect, but it's more responsive. They haven't quite brought it up to speed native, 100% native for Silicon Max. Um, but it was far better than what I was used to from before. I, it was noticeable. Yeah. And just they, as a hint, if you if you go in and reinstall these, you might need to check your preferences to enable your computer's GPU to to for the software to use the GPU um, mm -hmm. instead of just your CPU because that can often improve things. And sometimes that has to be set in the plugin and relaunched. Yeah, Define did get a new look, but at least as far as we can see, it's really kind of the old Define. This is the Under noise the reduction tool. Noise yeah. reduction. Yeah. So it's not an AI based thing. It's it, you know, DXO's got more um, modern noise reduction tools in their other software. We were really hoping for some of that to slip in to define, but that has not happened. So I, I personally don't see using it a lot, but you know, it's okay. That's all right. If you don't have another noise reduction tool it's it's okay yep all right well okay. um this this uh lots more in our bonus episode lots more stuff and um should be getting some new articles out there on the blog as well soon for for our listeners so thanks to all our supporters again um we appreciate you very much and until next time happy shooting all right bye-bye